Hello everyone and welcome to the Track and Field Performance Podcast, a platform dedicated to providing expert insights from coaches and practitioners who work in the sport of track and field. I'm your host, Colin Burke. I'm a long jumper from Sligo, Ireland, who currently works in the field of higher education as a career coach, as well as being a volunteer assistant on the University of Louisiana Monroe's track and field team. I hope this podcast serves as a useful resource for you and your athletes enabling them to improve track and field performance. Now, without further ado, let's get started with today's episode and bring forth our guest. Good morning, folks. Welcome back. Track and field performance podcast episode 12 on the cards this morning. A lot of crazy stuff going on in the track and field world over the last number of days. And... um, Focusing on what we can control, understanding that there is a lot of good things happening, a lot of stellar performances, but you know we're here to discuss the various things that could help you as coaches and athletes at home improve performance, and few better to, to come on the show and, and talk about coaching philosophy as it pertains to youth development, as well as hammer throwing Derek Evely has agreed to come on and, and share his insights of what he's learned over 30 years of coaching in various environments such as you know Athletics Canada and uh, British Athletics in the lead up to their home Olympics back in 2012 Derek is someone that by listening to his own podcast Evil Chat if you haven't before um, I would very much encourage you to get on any of the major uh, podcast suppliers or, or platforms and, and have a listen to some of the discussions that he's had with his guests. The ones that I've listened to uh, were were with um, CEO of Altus, Stu McMillan. And I think I was blown away by how much I didn't know in those episodes and how much more intrigued I was to kind of continue to learn and grow in this sport um, both as an athlete and maybe someday a prospective coach. But what we're going to focus on is um, some of his philosophies, mainly the Bondarchuk philosophy. You may have heard of it before, you may not have. It's a very interesting one, not conventional, but extremely useful to consider if you're particularly in the throws events. But nevertheless, we're going to actually discuss on how it could apply for for other athletes maybe you're in a jumping uh, discipline sprint discipline or maybe even distance now, a lot of the questions that i've wanted to pose with pose to him pertain to how it could transfer over or where the the relationship could potentially exist not only that is the principles of youth development that he has cultivated over years of experience is something that i think we could benefit from largely if you're a coach in maybe a high school or a junior high setting i think there's a lot of knowledge to gain from listening to derek i want to speak about you know obviously i launched the last time we, we were on the podcast that i had collaborated with track and field superstore track barn and want to make it known again that you know if you're looking for softer hard goods whether it's equipment for your track facility 
or customized apparel you can head over to www.trackbarn.com enter promo code tnf10 for any of their goods on the site um you know it's it's a really cool thing to be able to partner with a company that serves the same population as myself anyway i think this discussion is going to be very beneficial for all of you and i'm very honored to honestly have derek on the podcast given that i've listened to him speak about training and performance at such a high level it it, it does definitely make me feel um grateful to be able to sit down and discuss with someone who's really put in so much time and effort to to enhancing our level of of knowledge within these different domains of performance so i'm sure that it will be of benefit to those of you who who listen in and you know just to cap off the introduction thanking you again for engaging with me sharing feedback and or just you know sharing the the platform to other people in the community seeing some benefit or potential value for them it's been really really cool to see people's um, insights and an appreciation for for what i do and so i'm just lucky to be able to to sit down and 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 get into talks with these people and so to see that other people are benefiting from that is certainly making me feel that i'm delivering on the vision that i had initially and one of those was to to really cover all track and field disciplines and give you a holistic um, resource that you can benefit from and so yeah as we get into the hammer throwing today and, and various other things like youth development it makes me feel like i'm capitalizing on what i had initially envisioned so again i just want to say thanks and I hope you enjoy the episode with Derek Evely. So Derek, thank you very much for coming on the podcast this morning. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Sunny morning here in Louisiana. Um, ideal place to, you know, train and, and flourish as as an athlete. So, you know, we're we're in the thick of the season here now, competing um, you know, week in, week out. This is actually I would be in Atlanta right now, only for um american track league got rescheduled for uh next friday so here we are sitting with yourself this morning right thank you uh and thanks for having me on you uh so where in louisiana are you we're what we often get called is you know we're northern we're southern arkansas really because we're north louisiana just on the border here so monroe louisiana is uh is kind of where we say um we don't get the full cajun you know um culture Mm. we're not really immersed in that to a degree but uh yeah, nice spot, nevertheless, and pretty much close to everything. We're four hours from Dallas, four hours from, you know, uh, New Orleans and various other places. How far are you from Nashville? About seven, I think. Seven. Oh, that far. Okay. Because yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, well, listen, uh, you and I will have to hook up because I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go to the, the uh, uh, Jazz and Heritage Festival. I'm going to uh, uh, the New Orleans so oh yeah big one you know whatever it's oh, called yeah. so yeah, i got a, yeah. my buddy uh tom novak is uh goes there every year and so it's it's gonna it's coming back this year so i i actually haven't bought my tickets for that yet but i'm gonna drive down there and head down to that so maybe oh, i'll yeah. swing by and we can yeah get together, absolutely yeah, Conti- so. continue the the discussion that we're gonna have here today and i'm sure there's gonna be a lot to get into um but you know for those who don't know 
exactly who you are, what you do. Uh, give the listeners a little bit of an introduction piece onto you know your journey throughout track and field and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> like my journey is, uh, it's a pretty long one. It's, uh, yeah, and, uh, and and it's a pretty interesting one. And it really, um, actually, in terms of what I'm doing now, it actually is pretty significant to how I got to where I am now. Because, and and I'm, it's interesting, yes, because I'm, I'm going through this you know, and going through this phase right now where I, I've gone from, you know, sort of high performance coaching and leadership at the, you know, at a, at a, at a high, high level. And, you know, I made a conscious decision when I moved to Chicago to sort of try to go back the other way um, and go back to grassroots coaching. And, you know, and that's pretty interesting because it's, um, it's not so easy, not in a technical sense. It's just that, you know, I find I, um, you know, working with high school coaches, if they're not the, I, I, I don't know, I guess, you know, it's just, I have a, I have, you know, I mean, it's, I spent the last 20 years in a professional capacity, educating myself, studying coaching, coaching practice, leading coaching and coaching practice and been being around the best, not only the best coaches in the world, but some of the best coaches that ever set foot on a track, and so, you know, going back into this environment where, you know, there's a lot of traditionalism and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of um, sort of uh, coaches that, you know, I mean, they, they have a different timeline and agenda. Let's put it that way. And, 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 and legitimate in, in a lot of ways, you know, they don't have time to do things properly quote unquote and they're under a lot of pressure and so I'm just sort of dealing with that now and it's actually really shifting the way I think about a lot of things but but my but my path basically is I started off as a you know as an athlete in high school that did everything I love track and field I got turned on to it by watching one day watching a uh, this is geez this would have been back in the you know, 1976, 77 sort of thing, watching a Bud Green, those old Bud Greenspan, um, only the old, only your oldest coaches will understand, will know this name, but there's a Bud Greenspan set of videos he used to do these short sort of docu, you know, documentaries on, um, on, on the Olympics and things like that. And he did one on Al Order. And I saw that and I just like, I was like, that is what I want to do. I had never done it. And I just said to myself, that's, you know, it's just one of those things. I saw it. I said, that is what I want to do. So I went out and I bought myself a, a you know, in the, it was way pre-internet, of course, right? So I had to actually go to the yellow pages, you know, another term, only people a certain age. Are I know understand. what that is. Okay, good. I went to the yellow yep, pages, yep. looked up sporting goods and phoned a million sporting goods stores in Vancouver, which is where it burned me in Vancouver, which is where I from, was from, uh, you know, uh, got scraped up some money. I needed $6 Canadian to buy a rubber discus, right? Just a training discus. I took the bus over. I got the discus. I took it home and, and I taught myself how to throw, right? I had no coach or anything. And at one point I even wanted to try hammer. And, you know, it's funny because I'm no more now as a hammer coach. And I, I, I went out and I, you know, I, I cut the, uh, I cut 
a uh, um, a power cable off of some appliance we had in the house. My mom got really pissed off me, and I I cut it and I wrapped it around. I taped it up, wrapped it around a rock, made a homemade handle, and tried to throw that. Tried to teach myself to throw that. Right, you know that that sort of was my beginning. Um, you know, uh, and uh, yeah. For, so from there, I uh, you know I just I love I just love track, and I I've done everything in track. I mean, and I ended up becoming a decathlete, but I, I and and I was a triple jumper in high school. I was a triple jumper. I think my three best events were uh, triple jump, discus for sure, uh, and four hundred hurdles. So I, um, you know, and I ran both relays and all that. So, anyways, I that's that's sort of my high school background. My high school coach, which I'm sure we'll get into at some point, but he was a big influence on me. And uh, and uh, yeah, so from there, I uh, I got a scholarship to Simon Fraser University, trained under a guy named Zenon Schmahowski, who took me on early uh, as a decathlete. Uh, he was a, he had just sort of retired as an athlete and became the head coach there. And then uh, that's, I met Kevin Tyler there who owns Altus, one of the co-owners of Altus. Uh, we became friends, moved in together. And then, you know, over the next few years, I, uh, I ended up moving to Toronto with him uh, we entered the world wheelbarrow race championships, won it. And we said the night before his sister, actually, uh, his sister who dated P Charles Poliquin, by the way, uh, in university, there's a little nugget of trivia. Mm -hmm. for, uh, she, uh, you know, she, so we, we were talking the night before this race and we were talking about, you know, how we needed to, you know, up our game and training and wanted to do better. He was a 400 meter runner. She was like, "Well, why don't you guys just move to Toronto if that's where the, the the two main training centers for our event were?" There, she said, "Well, why don't you guys just move to Toronto? Like, just do it." And we looked at each other. And we were like, "Okay, well, if we win this thing tomorrow, we're going to take the prize money, which was five hundred bucks, and we're going to buy one way airline tickets." That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what we did. And uh, so there I trained a national high performance center. I was kind of the, I was very much the low man on the totem pole there trained with a bunch of guys who would go on to win Olympic and world champs medals, Mike Smith, Dave Steen, Dave Steen actually was from my neighborhood, went to my high school, but um, you know, and then I, then I met the, uh, the next coach in my life that would have a huge impact. Andy Higgins uh, changed my life dramatically. He just passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, you know, so I did that and then, uh, but I always knew I wanted to become a coach. I just always knew I grew up, um, you know, uh, on the very much on the other side of the track, so to speak. Um, and, uh, you know, grew up with a single mom, uh, only child in a single mother household my whole life since I was three months old, uh, never met my father. He was never around. And so, a lot of the coaches that would come in and out of my life throughout my entire life. And even to this day had huge influences on me. So, uh, and so that, you know, I always, that I, I think that's why I always wanted to become a coach. I wanted to have that kind of influence on people and change, you know, just impact people the way that I was impacted. Right. Um, and uh, so anyway, so I trained there and then, moved back to Vancouver when I, when I was done university or almost done university and, and, uh, retired, ret retired from athletics. Started my own group 
of decathletes who call, one guy called me up when a guy named Chris Dumpy called me up one day, asked me if I would coach him in the pole vault. And in my typical fashion, I said, uh, well, I'm not going to just coach you in pole vault. If I got to coach you in pole vault, I, I want to coach you in all the events. And so he said, okay. I said, but put a group together, get a bunch of guys together that want to train decathlon and I'll, and I'll coach you. I said, okay. I had no job. You know, I was, you know, living in my grandparents' garage whole family was just could not understand what I was doing. So I trained these guys for a couple of years. They, uh, um, they all did quite well, uh, to various degrees, you know, and I was still you know, this is at the beginning of my coaching career, you know, and I didn't know, I didn't know anywhere near as much as I thought I knew. Right. And anyway, so I did that. Uh, and then that led to me getting the job in Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada. I got a call one day, from a guy who was uh, actually a kickboxing uh, champion whose daughter was in the club up there. And he uh, asked me if I was uh, interested. And we had like a two-hour conversation on the phone and they gave me the job. I started there. I spent 11 years there. I had a lot of success, um, uh, in particular, taking young athletes and taking them to international levels you know um which to me all just at the time i mean i was very very isolated that that area right now actually is burning to the ground it's unfortunate it's, it's horrible right now i mean what what uh, the you know i mean for people that don't believe in climate change let me tell you man they just had a uh uh you know they were over 120 degrees fahrenheit can you imagine that in canada and anyway so it's really so to my friends out there in that part of the world that are listening to this, man, I'm, I'm really feeling for you right now. It's just, Oh my God, it's incredible. But anyway, so we, uh, I ended up with this job, uh, and I, it is a very isolated community. It's up in the mountains. And, you know, I I've said this many times, I thought everybody was studying their ass off and trying to do the right thing and, you know, make creating these long-term protocols and blah, blah, blah. And I wanted to do things right. And, you know, and I think I, to some degree I did, or at least I started to, and, and I think that kind of showed in a lot of the athletes I had there, you know, they went on to win, you know, I had a number of athletes that were top juniors in the world, winning junior, uh, you know, medals at two, two out of that small town that did it. Other athletes that were like national junior champions and things like that, but it more importantly went on to become, you know, which at the time I didn't understand this either, but that's actually a very rare thing in our sport, right? And that's a big, I mean, there's a number, there's been a number of articles written on that, that that just does not happen very often because, you know, top juniors in the world typically get there because they've, they've uh, specialized too early and then they've blown their load, so to speak, and they can't go any further. So, so anyways, I did that. It was successful. Met Bonderchuk there, uh, worked with him the last year, blah, blah, blah. Then I got, uh, then Kevin, who we just talked about. Uh, was recruited. He was working for Nike, uh, got recruited to head up a coaching center there, uh, offered me a job up, the, uh, up the, well, there being Edmonton, Alberta, went there. And then for the next four years, I sat behind a desk, gained about 50 pounds, but studied, uh, studied coaching and coaching practice. And, you know, we were sort of I think we were the, one of, if not the first, but one of the first uh, podcasts out there in, um, you know, training theory and track and field and, uh, and all that kind of thing. And, 
and then that led to the job in Britain. I, I, Kevin got recruited to, to head up uh, the coach development part of uh, UK athletics going into the 2012 games. He, he convinced the head coach, Charles Van Comedy there to hire me as the, uh, as the Loughborough, which, you know, being Irish, mm -hmm. the Loughborough center in uh, Britain, uh, they recruited Dan Paff as the other, uh, as the other center director. There was two that would, that one just looked after the London athletes. Uh, so him and I, and, the, and, you know, one of the reasons why I took the job was because Dan, I knew Dan would be there. Right. And so, yeah, so I did that for three and a half years. That went really well. It was very difficult, especially the first year. It was just unbelievable because I was in this leadership role, had I mean, it was the last guy you would pick to be a leader of like 35 of the, you know, top, top uh, practitioners and what they do coaching and uh, sports science related fields in uh, not just Britain, but in the, in some cases, the world. And here I am this guy who's, you know, this podunk coach from Canada, you know, and, and I literally walked in there and they gave me a set of keys and I didn't see Charles or Kevin for the first two weeks I was there. And it was like, okay, lead. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? I, I don't know, you know? So anyways, that's a, that's a whole other story that went really well. And I, I coached, you know, had coached a few athletes there in particular, Mark dry and Sophie Hitchin, um, hammer throwers, uh, a few other athletes, but those were the two that sort of uh, really kind of went well with. Um, and uh, then from there, moved back to Kamloops. Uh, after the after my after my contract was up after the Olympics, I really wanted to stay. And well, I wouldn't say I really wanted to stay. I I I really, you know, uh, like it was a great gig in Britain, but my wife actually works for our national railway and she would have had to have given up her, her job. So we didn't want to do that. So she, we went back to Canada, back to Kamloops. Uh, I was, let's just say I wasn't really terribly well received there when I went back. So I kind of did my own thing up, up in the Hills outside of Kamloops, uh, coached a few female hammer throwers, one in particular, Sultana Fursell did, did very well. I think she's ranked fourth or fifth in the world in one, one year, won a Commonwealth Games gold medal um, and uh, went to world championships. And anyways, and then, uh, and then thinking I was going to live the rest of my life there. Uh, and then my wife got offered a job in Chicago and two years ago, we moved there and this is where I am. And now, so, and since then, um, you know, I, you know, it's, I, I, I can't travel quite as much as I used to, you know, it's not so easy. So I really had to stay home. So I, you know, uh, um, really focusing on the website, I have eviltracksport.com where I have the Bondarchuk course, but I have a lot of other lectures in that from my conference, which I run out of Vancouver. And uh, so anyways, uh, so that's sort of my path. And so it's, it's a really meandering, weird path that has given me experience on all kinds of weird levels. And now that I'm here, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm more focusing on developmental, although I was coaching a high performance uh, or a woman who is, I would say, entering high performance hammer throwing certainly has uh, the talent to go to elite, but that, that didn't work out. So uh, I'm now yeah, so now I'm coaching mainly high school level athletes. Brilliant. I think there's a lot of different things that we're going to end up deep diving into pieces along the way that you've talked about, particularly um, influence 
along the way as your athlete and coaching journey kind of came came to unfold i guess if you could pinpoint and this will probably bleed up bleed into um our talk on bonderchuk but who do you think and and this might not particularly just be solely bonderchuk but rather um because you've developed your own kind of flavor of that philosophy in itself and you might be able to pick apart what made you um do so and and maybe you you talked about even working in youth development right now and how that's tricky to navigate how that's continuously making you rethink things um the key influencers in your in your coaching and and how you've molded your own thinking into your philosophies um maybe not from just a you know father figure like stance but more from a, a coaching pedagogy type stance where who are okay, those? yeah well that's oh, well i'm glad you you, yeah, you made that yeah, distinction because because yeah. my i mean i have four huge mentors people that absolutely changed my in terms of my career which however you want to look at it, huge number one probably at the top of the list is my high school coach ken taylor right not a uh, you know he's a good sprint coach at, especially at the high school level uh very good relay coach but not really uh, a, a super technical guy he's very old school very much a leader very much a motivator very much a, a humanist when I say old school, I mean, really old school. And mm-hmm. he had a huge impact on me. You know, I mean, I was, uh, I was, you know, I was wild when I was in high school and, and, you know, I mean, you know, and this is back in the day when I say old school, man, I'm talking like, like one time I, uh, I, uh, I went out in grade 12 and I, um, I, uh, you know, I was fucking around I was drunk with a buddy of mine and we were, I don't know. I can't remember what happened. We were doing something stupid and I broke my hand. Right. And, uh, ended up, uh, uh in a I, did i break it or did i i forget what i did but it was all wrapped up i don't think it was in a cast it was all wrapped up in a you know a soft cast or something so i spent the next two days you know three or the next week at school trying to avoid him because i knew if, if he saw me i'd be in trouble of course he found out about it i'm walking down the hall in between skipping a class or something one day i'm walking down the hall there's nobody in the hall walking down the hall walking down the hall this uh hand comes out and grabs me get in here and he pulls me into this storage room and he's got a stool in the corner and he sits me down and i'm i'm really off your what you asked here but i just i i gotta tell you i mean no definitely so he sits me in this corner and he goes listen you little motherfucker and he's just like and he and he's like i mean he he actually fucking hit me right like he, i like like i not hard but i remember he actually cuffed me in the head he goes listen you know you got you think you're blah 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 and it's you know and i was like holy shit and our assistant coach was there and he's kind of standing back going, hold on, hold on, man. Like, like, you know, don't be too hard on it. But, you know, I mean, he's, you know, scared me straight, I guess, you know, and, and it was, uh, you know, not that I cleaned up my act totally after that, but, you know, it was always that kind of thing, you know, just sort of steering me in the right direction more than anything, letting me know, letting me know that somebody gave a fuck. Right. So, you know, which is, I think the thing that we, um, the thing, you know, that's the danger that we have today with being so, uh, so, you know, it's the environment where you got to, you have to be so careful with what you say, especially around young people, so careful about what you do. And we've created these, these boundaries between coach and athlete that, you know, and, and it's good. I mean, obviously there's certain things you can't and shouldn't do, but it also holds back a coach sometimes from you know being able to some coaches in their own way express their love 
and they're caring, you know, in ways that just aren't acceptable today. Right. And I think that's sure. a big danger we have is we, you know, so, but anyways, but he wasn't really, you know, in a technical sense, wasn't really, uh, you know, that's wasn't his deal. Right. Sort of. So then when I went to, uh, uh, when I moved to Toronto, same thing. I met the same type of, no, the opposite type of coach, more, far more humanist, more of a, you know, his name was Andy Higgins, had a huge, you know, and I should say throughout this whole time, I, you know, I was, the, you know, I was an alcoholic. I was a, you know, I was a drunk. You know what that means as an Irishman, right? And, yeah, of you course. Know, I mean, I've got a lot of Irish, Irish in me. I, I'm a newfie. I'm a newfie, which is a, which is, or I'm half newfie, which is someone, my dad was full blood newfoundlander which is the east coast of uh canada uh, uh my old man was a severe alcoholic drank himself to death and all that and, and i mean it's just just rampant in that in both sides of my family but especially that side so i ended up with those with that you know that <laughs> and so you know i mean i was dealing with all this shit at that time so all these coaches were you know trying to figure out like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy but but you know for whatever reason they they had you know they had uh, they thought i was worth keeping around and and uh you know in their own way sort of helped me out so higgins was a big influence on that especially in terms of forcing me to deal with my own shit right uh, far more technical coach than Taylor was, um, you know, actually planned first time I'd ever seen a coach that actually planned, like, you know, writ, wrote, you know, wrote stuff down and, you know, we had a workout sheet every week and that, and so that was, that was a big influence on me. Uh, but then really after that, it was, uh, later on, it was, I, I, I came across Dan Path and Dan Path again was on another level. Uh, you know, a humanist on, uh, on a different level, not so much higher, but just different. And, uh, you know, so he, you know, him and I sort of bonded on that level as well. But, you know, I, he was recruiting uh, an athlete of mine, Shane Nimi, who won a bronze medal at the world championships, never eventually went to Texas. He, Dan was a coach at Texas at the time. Right. Yeah. But, but he, uh, but you know it, it connected me with them we, we you know we had a strong connection pretty much right from the get-go i so i ended up going down there four times and spending a week and man i was just like that that was when things really changed for me it was like shit this is the way i want to coach you know this is i mean i want to you know it, it and it's not so much i wanted to be like dan or coach like dan but he he really you know it was just like well here's a guy who is interested in do, in finding out, you know, in every way possible, how he could make athletes better. So he's going to delve into the deep into the science. He's going to, so that means, you know, he's deep into physiology, deep into the biomechanics. He's going to deep into psychology, you know, or maybe psychiatry <laughs> of it. Um, you know, I mean, just whatever way he's going to, he's, uh, he's going to do it. And he's going to do that by, you know, finding and con and consuming the best information that he can. And, uh, you know, it's the first time I'd seen that at that level. And so, you know, I, I, I was, that's why I went there four times. Right. And every time I came back with literally a duffel bag full of, uh, binders full of books and 
uh, you know, and uh, that he would recommend I would go to the store, I would go to whatever bookstore and pull them off the shelves and buy them, or I'd just simply photocopy everything that he had in his in his archive. It's funny mm. you say as well, because not I, I've heard many people, like, well, I say many, three or four, um, talk about going down to Austin and actually viewing uh, Dan Path in Well, in Glenn Smith time. is your coach, right? Right, right. And he's not the only one, and you're not the only one either. Um, I, I think I had recalled um, some of my previous guests saying that too, and that just was teaching them what they didn't know to the point of like, there's levels to this, and there is topics of exploration that I've just not even factored in. So how can I consider myself a good coach if mm -hmm. I am not doing the things that the stops he's pulling out? Yeah. Yeah. That's really well put. And, and that's, and that's uh, yeah, that's exactly it. You know, and for me, it was just, I, I just, I just part of, you know, half of it was, you know, uh, I, I, I think I have to do this to service my athletes. Well, and part of it was, I just want to know, right? Like, I just want to know, I just, you know, so, so I spent the next five or six years, uh, just, just, you know, and I mean, I was in a position where I was single, uh, living alone, uh, had, I was a full-time private coach, wasn't making a shit ton of money or anything, but I was making enough to sort of, um, you know, that I, that I could, I could survive. And, and I, and every single, moment that I was not on the track, I was planning, studying, you know, reading, doing all of this. And, and, you know, that's, uh, that's, that was my life. I, from, from morning till, you know, dawn till dusk, till I got up, till I went to bed, unless I was drinking, uh, which I quit in 19, in 98. So that kind of helped ramp things up a bit, but it, um, and uh, yeah, and so I just got so deep into it. And then, and then that led, as you just, as you said, yeah, that led to, you know, I won't get into the Bonner Trek story. I've told it to so many times how he yeah. came to Camelot, but basically he, he ended up in my basement and, uh, you know, him and I writing that book that I talk about all the time together. That's formed the basis of the course that I have online. Uh, and then, you know, I mean, Dan sort of, you know, with Dan, it was all, you know, I, I mean, there's just so many different areas that Dan influenced me on. And again, you know, to the, you know, to this day, not all of them I, I bought into, or I should, that's the wrong way to put it. Not all of them I felt were appropriate for either the level I was at coaching or my environment, but what, you know, but he taught me so much, you know, he just taught me that, look, if, you, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to be serious about biomechanics let's say well then you got to know the the what matt jordan calls you know the first principles of it what are the first principles of it what are the what are you know what are what are the what are the basics and i was like yeah yeah you know because and i find a lot of coaches uh since then since i've gone down this path of uh you know coach development um is that they you know they um like you'll be in a room and they'll be in a room with a lot of other coaches and, you know, someone will be lecturing or maybe you're having a casual conversation and somebody, you know, throws something out there and you just know half the room doesn't understand what they're talking about, but everyone's afraid to put their hand up, right? Like everybody's afraid to, to sort of go, Oh, could you clarify that? Could you, could you say what you mean by, uh, by grid, you know, or matrix or whatever, you know, Dan yeah, uses all yeah. these, these terms to describe things and 
they're, they're just because they don't want to be seen in front of their colleagues as, as being uneducated. Right. And so when I started my journey in, in, uh, in Edmonton uh, on this coach education journey, I said, well, I, I'm going, I'm going to be the guy that asked the questions that those, that those coaches are afraid to ask, right? Because I was one of them and I knew what it was like. Right. So I, so I said, that's how, that's how I, that's how I based everything. That's how I, to, to this day, to this day, half the coaches or half the questions I'll ask on a podcast are questions. I know the answers to, right? Like I, like I know what the person's going to say, or I have a pretty good idea, but the other half, I that I'm literally it's 50 50 I would say uh, the other half are ones uh, you know uh or sorry 50 percent of them I know the answers to the other half are ones I don't know the answer to and the first set uh you know so 50 percent of them I want to know the answer myself and 50 percent of them I'm asking those questions for coaches that are out there that are probably in the boat I was right yeah you know and so you know, I sometimes when I've interviewed Dan and, you know, uh, and things, I sometimes I drive him nuts because I'm always getting him to, to you know, he ta- he can talk in a very uh, complex sort of, yeah, you know, sure. highbrow way. Yeah. Highbrow is not really the word, but in a very sophisticated jargon based way, he has yeah. his own way of doing it, which I love. But I'm always stopping him and say, well, yeah, could you just explain that? Because I know half the audience is not no one in the audience is going to put up their hand and say, yeah. you know, if, whatever. So anyway, so that's. That's, uh, you know, that's, um, you know, that's how I got there. So what, uh, sorry, I, I went off on a, on a tangent there. Absolutely what, not. What were you talking about? Um, so oh, the, no? The, okay, good. The, the, the keys, I think, that I just take away from that, and obviously I'm very young and inexperienced myself, but I, I recently underwent um, Stu's coaching initiative and, uh, you know, with Altus, they did a young mm-hmm. coaches initiative and, um, uh, were, were you in that? Yes. That's yeah. where I, that's where I saw you for, cause you look familiar. You were okay. okay. <laughs> so they, they talked an awful lot about first principles. And I think, I think what I've gathered also by some of the good guests that I've had on is that they, they don't want to skip the idea that a lot of what they will talk about or what we see on social media and, and, and various other platforms is that we're seeing a finished product, but we're not getting to the why it's being prescribed. And yeah. so in order to know, you know, the complex terminology, you really do have to like strip some things back for people and assume mm-hmm. that you know nothing. And then you'll probably think the same when I ask you about, you know, Bondarchuk's philosophy and, and detailing that from its core um, principles, because ultimately you could go into you know, the nitty gritty stuff and the decision making you make day to day. But if they don't know the the general exercises, they don't know the state, the mm-hmm. different periodization forms that it can take complex and stage method, etc. then they're lost, right. And mm-hmm. it's the same with, you know, um, I see this in an acceleration, let's say for sprinting, uh, a lot of people watch like uh, the elite athletes, Mm-hmm. They look at them and they go, oh, look at this guy. He can he can hold his center. He's really low to the ground. But, you know, if you don't understand that, like airtime, um, the ability to switch their limbs and let's say By force, um, force yeah. application, mm-hmm. like if you don't consider that those things are are what make the positions that you're seeing achievable, yeah. then you're skip your you know, you're kind of skipping like the main. No, I, I totally consideration. That's a, that's an awesome example. 
because that's exactly that's exactly the problem when we're talking about especially developmental coaches so you see you know you see a a sprinter accelerate in a proper fashion and you know if you're a if you're a development coach and you're working with younger or less experienced or less powerful athletes okay and you know this is why you're watching this athlete and you're you're looking at them accelerate and let's say you're really into it you're you're you know so you're looking at you're trying to figure out where the center of gravity is how high that is off the ground whatever the shin angles all that sure and then so and i say this all the time you have to understand that stuff as a development coach so that you know what the goal is, but you don't go back and try to actually do it. Like, and when I say actually do it, I mean, do it in terms of getting your athletes to have their center of gravity off the ground, because in order to do that in a, you know, for a weaker athlete, they're going to have to, tr- they're going to have to cue themselves in a way that is not conducive to performance so in other words this idea of like staying down as long as you can and then pulling your head up at a certain time right you know that's just not that's just not biomechanically uh, um, rational right mm-hmm. so so you under you know you so you're looking at this athlete who got there who you know you know that was the goal to get them there by uh, by being efficient, proper mechanics, but they're able to apply force in a way that your athlete can't. So they're going to get there. And if your athlete tries to get there, they're only going to be able to get there by doing it improperly. Right. And so you have to understand what the, they may get there down the road, but they're not there. And so if you try to force that position, you're actually doing them a disservice. That's a great example. actually. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it, it just seems as though, you know, that comes right across the board in the Adventures. And it's just one that comes to mind probably because I know it a little bit better because it's involved in my, you know, own training day in, day out. But it's, it is something that I think people are reluctant to kind of focus in on because there is such exposure to these quick snippets, what we see on social media, mm-hmm. um, on what would the finished product should look like versus, you know, really taking the time to, to strip back and go, well, what's influencing? What are the factors at play that hmm. make me consider my athletes and where they fit into this overall ideal model? And, and hmm. where can we take them from point A to point hmm. B? And then you're then you break that down session to session, week to week, year to year. Like it's a it's a lot more of a process than people want to entertain. And it, it's not immediate. Hmm. And I suppose I will go into that very much so on the, the hammer throwing side for hmm. for technical development sure. today. But, um, you know, getting into, you know, your, your last mentor that you mentioned there, Bonderchuk being, or Dr. B, as you've coined him in uh, mm. episode six of your podcast, which I want to say, if anyone wants to know the story of exactly how you met Bonderchuk, that would be a good resource, right? To, to tune into that. Was it episode six? Yeah. 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 Good. Thank you for that. Because yeah. I've told that story so many times. It's right. Just like, right. And I love telling it. It's a yeah. hilarious story, but it's, but it's, you know, for those who've heard it, they don't want to hear that. Again. Well, it's, it's, it's surreal that you would have, you know, a mentor or um, let's say someone, an idol almost living, you know, in your own in my home. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's, oh my God. That it is interesting too. for sure. Yeah. Um, beautiful, but, you know, beautiful human being. Him there, and his wife. There's where did the fascination for you early on? And that might be going back into the story ever so slightly, but you know, it is, it is an interesting philosophy for sure. Where did the initial, um, 
kind of fascination with its spark? Fascination with what? With, with Bondarchuk's system. Oh my God. Well, I, okay. So that started when Dylan Armstrong, when I first got my job with Dylan Armstrong and, um, you know, he was a young thrower, had not touched the hammer. Um, he was a shot and disc thrower, tearing it up at the, at the young levels. I, you know, I, you know, it's funny you mention that because I just going through this right now with, with, a with a young athlete, uh, which I'm, which I'm sure I'll talk about at some point when we get into hammer because it directly addresses one of your questions that you sent me, but um, you know, and he, um, I just had a feeling that this guy should be throwing the hammer. The problem was I didn't know anything about the hammer. Right. So, uh, and I just like, but I had a friend of mine, Glenn McAdee, very close friend, still a very close friend. Who's a, uh, was, uh, he was the head, he was the head coach at Northridge, uh, university in California and then, and the, our, our throws coach, sorry, not head coach throws coach and then throws coach at Clemson. And he's, you know, and he did what I, what I'm doing, right. He went from high performance down to, uh, you know, back to grassroots for various reasons, same reasons as me, I guess. And, and, uh, um, and, you know, so he was a hammer thrower at the time. And so he, he, he was, uh, he was actually a hammer thrower in university and, and, um, so he helped me out, learn, helped me out with the basics. And then I kind of went from there, but it, um, yeah, but anyways, uh, sorry, I lost track of your question. What, what was just the fascination <laughs> with, with Bondarchuk. So, oh like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you're Jesus, good, you're Jesus. Good. What, see, this is what, see, this is, this is my problem, right? Is I, I lose track and I just, cause I babble on forever. Fuck. But anyways, yeah. So, I mean, you know, and when you go to, when you want to learn, hammer the you know one name keeps coming up right and it, and it was bonder chuck so over the next few years that was 95 and bonder chuck really didn't come to Kamloops until 10 years later so over the next 10 years i mean i was getting everything my hands on everything i could bonder chuck and reading it and that was it and it all just sort of a lot of it well a lot of it didn't make sense but a lot of it at the time I thought made sense and, and I was right on some levels wrong on others as I was to find out later. And, uh, but yeah. And so I was, you know, really into his stuff. And then, you know, this, this, this weird turn of events ended up with him in my basement. And so that's kind of how I, I, I ended up really getting into his stuff. And it wasn't just, you know, once I started look, looking up his name for, you know, for hammer related material, then I started to see that, Holy shit, this guy's got, all kinds of stuff that is really deep, deep, deep uh, dives into um, into theory and methodology. And, you know, that's, I was really into that. I don't know why I was just, just, it's like a, you know, it's Charles Van Comedy, you say it's, it's, it's a hobby of mine, I guess, but I was really into it. So when he came, it's funny because when he came to Kamloops, he thought he was walking into a situation where, you know, and rightfully so, uh, where he was working with this young podunk coach who don't, I mean, this is a guy in a small town up in the mountains of British Columbia. What does this guy know? Right. You right. Know? But I was actually pretty well educated in a lot of uh, not just what, you know, bonder check stuff, but everybody's stuff. I read, you know, I read all the, all the classics, right. Versansky, Zachiorski, Matviev, you know, you go on and on and on and on. I was doing a lot of reading on that. So, yeah. So that's how I, uh, yeah, that's how I got into it. But, 
And for the listeners that, that don't know, just giving them a, a basic understanding of, you know, you know there's various models within um, what Bondarchuk, you know, prescribes and, and, and there are unique aspects about it, perhaps the complex model that throws coaches off most mm. of all. But maybe um, talk about each one of those and, you know, obviously the exercise as well that, you know, fit into each of those, um, those models. The methods. So, yeah, uh, th- yeah, that's cool. Nobody's asked about bonnet checking that way before, but that's an interesting way to, that's, that's a, a different way to approach it. So, and it's good. I like that. So, so yeah, and this is always the problem. Right. When you're when you try explaining Bondarchuk to people or his systems that they get fixated on this complex methodology. Okay. Right. Right. And what they don't understand is that the complex, quote unquote, the way he defines it. So if you're if you're listening to this and you're a, a you know a well-educated or well-read coach or student of methodology or some kind of uh, system, system or means training. The, the idea of complex can mean a di- bunch of different things, right? But right. in this case, what it means is training all abilities, all aspects of development, okay? Motor development, um, biomotor development, and training all aspects at the same time, okay? And you can, you can, that you can interpret that at the workout level, session level, at the micro level, or at the macro level. Okay. So, but in, in Bonnerchuk's case, what it means is, is it means that within a PDSF period of development sports form, which is basically the largest cycle that we use, he doesn't, he doesn't go longer than, a, than uh, what you would, what you would uh, call a, what most people would call a macro cycle or a meso cycle. Okay. How, and those two terms get flipped around. So I always have to use both because in the literature, it could, you know, it's a group of micro cycles and it's typically months long if, you know, maybe six weeks, but typically it's months long. Okay. That's his largest cycle. A collection of micros is, is that okay. And everything with you are going to train all aspects of, um, you know, all, all aspects of biomotor development in that cycle every week. Right. So there's no, you know, you're, you're, you're basically going to do, you're going to do everything all the time. And now, however that manifests itself in the, at the session level or micro level, uh, can be there's a bit of it there could be a bit of variation there so I mean but in heavy throws we do all four of them even in the same workout you don't have to to make it complex but mm-hmm. you know you but but we do and but you don't have to but you do have to at least at the micro level okay you know at the at, by, by micro I mean micro cycle level okay yes so that's one that's only one of 16 methods and in the first book he wrote and then he's written other books with other methods where if you take those four exercise classifications so those four zones if you want or so four classifications of the these biomotor um uh these biomotor elements right so there's 
you know, the competitive event, there's a specific development exercises, specific preparation exercises and general preparations. I mean, however you want to divide them up, it doesn't really matter. That's how he divides them up. But if you take those and in a complex, they're all, they're all layered on top of each other. If you look at it graphically, it's the same as Charlie's vertical integration, right? It's the same idea, right? So what it, so all these other methods, like I said, complex is one. And all complex means is that whatever you start with in that long cycle, you don't change at all. It just does not change. So you're going to, whatever you have in the workouts or the sessions, they're going to be identical right through. Okay. When I say identical, I say this all the time. It means if you look at the, at the beginning, you look at the session and what's in it, what the athlete does, and you come back three months later or whenever the end of that cycle is going to be, and you look at it, you're going to see the exact same thing right down to the amount of weight on the bar and the amount of reps and sets and the number of throws, whatever. But that's just one. Okay. There are 15 other ones that where there's variations in this and how this is set up. So there is classic stage methodology where you're going to be doing the less specific. Um, you're going to be doing the less specific the bottom two classifications or however you divide them up, you're going to be doing the less specific work, the more general work. And you're going to be doing that for a period. And then the more specific work is going to overlap with that, right? Stage, right? You're, there's a block method where you're going to be doing the more general work. It could be, and when I say general, I mean more general. I don't mean it, it is like, general is in purely general there's also you know if you're doing the specific prep or the uh specific preparation exercises which is basically your lifting right mm -hmm. then there's a block model for that right and bonnercheck makes no uh makes no um at least in the books he doesn't make any uh, uh value he didn't put any 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 valuations on the there's no uh subjective you know, this is better than this. He just says, this is, this is the way that you would divide these up in this system. You have to decide what is best for you. What yeah. is best for your environment? He uses complex. And, and if you study, he uses the, he tries to use complex more than anything. Right. And same with, same with me. Um, but it's not realistic in some situations, right? right? Or you may not favor it for whatever reason. And, you know, I mean, if you look at what's going on in the hammer throw in particular in the U S right now with what I, what I, what I understand to be the case, that seems to be the way a lot of the top coaches and top athletes are doing it right. Is they're not doing it so much complex. They're doing it more stage or even block. And I use the term block very carefully. Okay. Because it, you know, we're not talking necessarily block in the Assurin or Vershansky way. We're talking it in the way that Bonnerchuk divides it up, which is theoretically the same, but you know, anyways, and they're doing unbelievable. Like they're, they're, they're the best in the world right now. So who's to say that doing complex is necessarily better than doing a stage or block or something like that. Do you, do you, do you follow what I'm saying yeah, here? And yeah. so, so, but it's the way that we do it. And theoretically, the idea is, is the reason why you would do complex is because if 
when you do, when you train all the abilities at the same time, and of course, in order to do that, you have to compromise in, in the, in the mount and how you load the athlete, right? You're going to have to do, you're going to have to break things up into smaller chunks, because if I tried to with a, with a true complex methodology with a, with a hammer thrower, let's say, um, using the comp, yeah, using the complex method, I, and I tried to implement the day-to-day lifting workouts that some of these other athletes are doing, I would kill them. Right. So I have to, I have to break it up into smaller chunks. So, and you know, more appeal, we probably lift as much or more in terms of volume than they do. Mm -hmm. Right. But and I'm not saying necessarily one is better than the other, but they're just different approaches, right? And who am I to argue with Deanna Price's coach for Christ's sake? So I mean, Jesus, the woman just threw 80 meters, right? And I know, but I mean, you go online, look at her videos. I mean, she's a big, strong girl who lifts a lot, right? There's there's not, and this is where people get screwed up with this, is they they think, oh, well, that's you know, Bondarchuk says to do this. No, he does not say to do that. He says this is one way, this is another way this is another way. And, and Mm -hmm. you got to choose what's best for you and what Mm -hmm. fits in with your, with your way of doing things. And I'm starting to think, you know, like, you know, there, you know, if, but this is how things evolve. This is how systems evolve, right? As you, we have this debate and we have these, you know, and I'm starting to look at some of these other programs. And I've always said that, you know, Bondarchuk, because he uses complex methodology does not lift in terms of the intensification of his lifts does not lift anywhere near as much as I do. I mean, I, I'm higher up on the force. So, you know, I, I believe in a little bit more intensification in the strength. He doesn't. And, and that, you know, and a lot of that's tied into his whole, the whole thing of transfer. Right. But, you know, I'm looking at these other programs and what these people are doing and I'm just kind of going well you know and I know you know and they lift their asses off right it's very traditionalist throws American throws there's not you know I'm looking at it and going yeah you know I I can't ignore that how can I ignore that as a as a coach right I, I I'm not prepared to sit here and say oh they don't know what they're doing or or the other the other uh the other um you know the other bullshit that a, that a lot of people will do is oh they're on on drugs oh they're oh yeah they only they do that because they're on drugs and we're not and, uh, bullshit you know i mean maybe some of them but i you know i know a lot of them i i know a lot of them i'm i'm, I'm i have no problem sitting here and telling you that uh i know that a lot of these top throwers right now and i'll even throw you know what? i'll even go out on a limb and throw out krauser's name i know a lot of them are not and people will sit there and go, oh, you're an uh, bullshit. You know, no, I just, I just, I just, you know, I mean, part of that is intuition or part of that is just, you know, intuition or, or intuitiveness on my part. So I could be completely wrong. But part of it is I know, I don't know anybody around Krauser, but uh, well, I didn't, you know, I think John DeGata had a, you know, was working with him in, uh, in San Diego, but, uh, or at least had a, a, an influence on his program. And I know John, you know, and so I've known John since he was an athlete. I mean, you know, and maybe I'm naive, call me naive, call me whatever the fuck you want to call me. But I, I just, I just think that, you know, I, I, if I had to bet, I would bet, you know, that's, I think Krauser's yeah, I would, I'd mind saying it. Uh, Don Babbitt's guys clean. And, and if people want to sit there and tell, you know, why, what, you know, how, how do they do it? Well, they're fucking talented athletes 
with a great coach who's who's very systematic in their approach and and you know and there you go like you know if you don't like it fuck off i don't care like it's yeah. just you know but there are some <laughs> i'm not that stupid right you know you know there are people i have suspicions about but mm-hmm. whatever let's not get too much into that but well, but my you know but that's my point there right so mm-hmm. i think one thing that I wanted to touch on just from listening to your other episode and, and this will kind of help your point, I think, is that you've coached, I think you said you'd coached Mark Dry before and, you know, he hadn't the capacity to kind of train at a full-time level and that kind of hindered, you know, a little bit of what you could do with the system, maximizing certain aspects. And like, this is the thing with, you know, some of the luxuries that athletes do have is that they're able to essentially push the boundaries with you know, training um, methodologies or even just stimulus on a day-to-day because the demands of their lifestyle and various other factors are, are low, right? And um, those are factors for consideration that that essentially should be implemented when you're picking one of the 16, you know, methodologies that Bondarchuk has out there is that you, you ideally in a, in a, you would probably have a bias towards a certain model if you had all things be, ideal or perhaps but the the thing is if you're coaching athletes across the world you know um facilities and and various other things that will you know have you make subtle modifications right are, are things that there is is the reality of coaching it's not take a philosophy pin it to an athlete bonderchuk says that you got to do x y and z and there's no leeway with it well there are some you know um, well, there's a ton of leeway because you got there, 16 different methods to choose right, from. Just choose right. the one that works. Exactly. But that makes and what, sense. what works is based on what you know about the athlete and what you know about. And, and, and you've made no um, you've, you've made no qualms about the fact that, you know, you have to play around with some of this stuff in the beginning mm-hmm. to see how the adaptation will occur. And, you know, people get thrown off by the fact that, oh, you would do a set amount of sessions for somewhere around and, and, and not to quote your number, but somewhere around 50 days ish mm. um, would allow you to kind of allow them to reach peak form within mm. that mm-hmm. said cycle before you'll change anything. But up until that point, it's, it's repeating most for the most part, at least when you're talking about the complex mo- method is that you're doing all f- four types of training general to specific right up until the competition specificity um simultaneously reaching peak form changing the exercises then after and it it kind of allows you to monitor uh you know progression through certain abilities and you've you've made the point that you know the only thing that will change in those 50 days is rather that you will see things executed at a much higher level by the end of the cycle versus the beginning um what makes me very interested to know more about you know those kind of methodologies is what are your general testing protocols at those state or throughout the duration of course simple things like if you're hammer throwing um you're measuring the throws of course Mm -hmm. um maybe you're measuring bar you have a push band or something well this is where it gets super interesting okay so you know, I mean, Bonnerchuk came up with this method by studying loss of form. What happens to an athlete when they stop training? Okay. And then through that, it, that led him to starting to studying, um, <clears throat> you know, what, what not only, you know, what, 
how does an athlete adapt to training at various uh, levels of form loss? Okay. So, and that's how it, and that's how it, um, that's how it started. Okay. So he, um, so, you know, in, in the heavy throws, we, we have this huge advantage, right? And I'm not sure he would have come up with this system if he wasn't a heavy thrower, okay? Or a heavy throws coach with shot put discus mm-hmm. hammer and javelin to some degree, but mm-hmm. you can't, you, you, you know, you can't be as dense with javelin. Um, and he came up with this. So, you know, I, like, like I said, I, I'm not sure he would have come up with this system because in the heavy throws, we can measure every day. We can mm-hmm. throw every day and we can measure every day. In fact, he t- took it to another level. He throws twice a day, five days a week. Okay. So he, you know, I mean, and the idea there goes back to what we talked about earlier. These, you know, uh, the idea there is the more dense you can, you can create, you can uh, make the more dense you can offer a stimulus to the organism, the faster it improves with it within reason. Okay. Like you can't go three workouts a day because there's no chance to recover. Right. Or you can't go 10, you can't go twice a day or 10 workouts a week if you're kicking the shit out of them in every single workout. Right. So there's, you know, there's, there's where the micro needs to be manipulated slightly in order to actually be sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a big discussion because you, it it either means that you're going to have multiple more sessions in your micro, we, we try to get away with, you know, everything is about doing as little as possible more often. Right. But you just can't do it in some events, right? Like you can't, you can't work on max speed twice a day, five days a week. No no one will survive that drugs, no drugs doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. So you're going to have to either do more programs or come up with a, or use one of the other, uh, use one of the other, yeah. um, where the comp this complex wouldn't fit that. Yeah. Maybe variation would maybe variation yeah. would, uh, that would be the next choice, right. Where it's just mm-hmm. basically complex, but you are changing the exercises or the elements of training every periodically. But mm-hmm. anyways, so that gives us a really big advantage relative to other events in that we get if you think about it, we get a, the most specific and deadly accurate measure of form measure of the status of the athlete. We can get that twice a day, right? Almost every day. Okay. So we, we, so, so in other words, if we're throwing 10 times a week, we can get 10 measurements a week. And each one of those measurements is going to tell us, uh, you know, which the measurement is the best throw of the day or the best, average of the top three, whatever, however the hell you want it. We have, we have a measurement of where that athlete was at that time and we can track it. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So no, very few other sports have that. Right. And that, and so that's how we, that's how we track it. And so, so you can't take a American football player, let's say, and say, okay, okay, Joe, you know, uh, we're, we're going to give you the same, training session every week or or let's or let's just say it more simply let's joe you know like you you can't determine if joe is a better football player in the morning than he was in the afternoon on any given day and you can't 
you don't have a measure of whether Joe was a was a better football player, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if he was a kicker and you were doing that, right, you had right. something for accuracy and distance. I don't know, but yes. you know, um, or, but you generally like, you know, you generally can't say that because the only measure for whether or not you're a better running back is, true measure is to put him in a game and have them. And even then how the hell are you going to measure it? Yeah, right. So like, you know, scenarios. yeah, it's just, it's, it's so open-ended, right. It's so yeah. open loop that you, that, you know, it's just, it's just the way it's just the way it is. So for, but that doesn't mean you can't do bonder truck with that athlete. What it means is, you know, that's what people say, quote, do bonder truck, quote unquote. But what it means is, is that we can take the principles from bonder truck and we can apply it. Right. But in order to apply it, and uh, apply it really accurately, you have to have some measure, okay? So then the next question becomes, well, what are we gonna measure, okay? And this is, this is I mean, this discussion could be an entire podcast in and of itself, right? So what are we gonna measure? Let's stick with our example. It's an American football player. So what's the next best thing? If, if you can't measure that, how, if the athlete's better, then you gotta come up with some kind of battery Okay, of tests, you got to have something that you can, you know, so what are you going to do, you're going to reduce what the athlete does, and you're going to try to measure it, that would be the best thing. So if it's a running back, what do they got to do? Well, if 90, I don't and pardon any ignorance I have here towards American football, but let's just say if 90% of the runs that a running back is going to do in a football game are less than 20 meters or 20 yards or 10, whatever that number is. Well, that's what your one measurement's going to be, right? Cause they got to be fast. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they got to be fast, maybe not in a linear session, but it's, you know, they got to dodge and weave or whatever. Well, then maybe you're going to modify it in time. Now. I don't know what, whatever it is. Right. But you got to come up with something. Um, and then, you know, you're, and then let's say, what else is it? Well, uh, you know, they got to be able to do, I don't know. I mean, that's probably the most important thing, but they got, oh, they got to be able to start. You know, they, 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 they got to be able to, you know, their starting strength is important. So maybe mm-hmm. you're going to, you know, I don't know what the breakdown is because I'm not intimately involved in the sport, but there's right. going to be a breakdown. Right. But here's, here's the problem I have where, where I get critical about this is that, And it's like the, I mean, this takes us right into the NFL combine, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that battery of tests has got to be rational and specific as specific, well, as specific as you can get. Right. And I think too often the, the batteries that a lot of people use and the NFL combine is just the ultimate example of this tells you jack shit about whether or not the, the, uh, the athlete actually is a better football player, right? Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It, because, you know, I mean, whether he can bench press, unless, unless you have, you know, you have a ranking, there is a ranking out there of every single football player of all time or all the greatest, mm-hmm. and you have their lifetime PBs in the bench press, let's say, or however they measure it in the, I think it's some stupid thing where they go 225 as many times, or they used to, I don't know if they do, but let's say you have that measurement and, the, the, the ranking of whatever the greatest running backs are of all time in terms of yards gained or whatever, and you line up their PBs and, and they're, they're very close to the same ranking, which I would be really surprised if that's the case. Right. Well, if you have that, then you can say, okay, this is a 
pretty legitimate test. Right. Maybe we don't have hard science on it, but it's uh -huh. there's a big correlation there, right? right. The problem I have is that, that a lot of these tests don't, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we are getting more and more of it. And we, you know, it looks like the vertical jump is a pretty sound one, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe you're going to use that, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know, man. I mean, it's just they have to decide, but you got to come up with a, with a, with a, with some kind of tool to measure. And you got to make sure that your, your test, number one is repeatable. And number two is part of the training, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, yeah. Um, or, or if it's not actually part of the day-to-day -day training, it's got to be innocuous enough that it's not going to impact the, you know, the athlete's training. That's going to throw off whatever, whatever, um, what's going to occur after. Well, or what's, you know, like it's, it's not going to throw your dad, that their, 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 their path to peak condition, whatever yeah, uh, yeah. reaction they have. So in other yeah. words, if one of your tests is a one mile run, for running backs or for defensive linemen. Well, that's, I mean, that's, well, that's retarded on a whole bunch of levels, but let's just say that, let's just say that you did that, right? Like that's going to be, you know, well, then that's going to, I mean, you're never going to be able to get a grip on this because yeah. every time, if you do it once a week, every, it's going to take that, you know, a 400 or 350 pound lineman, it's going to take them two weeks to recover from it. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. I could go on and on, but yeah, you get yeah. the idea, right? Yeah. So, the variables are, are massive. And like, yeah. even when we look at something as well, some people will kill me for saying this, but like what looks as simple as sprinting, like we know that even the weight lifted in a power clean, or let's say the reactive strength index amongst the best sprinters in the world, although these are commonly used tests, they're not the same. No. Um, people are built differently and have different pathways to success. And some people have very unique abilities of what makes them great. And mm -hmm. so to have a universal, you know, battery of tests just doesn't seem like even an event that like sprinting, that seems like very simplistic when you look at, it, especially from a, from a, you know, a general person's standpoint, you know, that there are many different, um, factors at play there and, and and some of which like when you compare like an Andre de Grasse versus uh like a Christian Coleman like mm -hmm. one's one's a pure you know power athlete and I'm not saying this like committing to this answer but you can I can definitely tell that one is more elastic based versus one's more raw mm -hmm. power based you know but you mm -hmm. put Andre de Grasse and in a 60 meter run he'll struggle to break six six maybe you know six five um, but get him from, you know, 50 onwards in the race mm -hmm. and like, you know, he's being coached accordingly to, to harness those attributes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so a 30 meter acceleration, it might be a relative predictor of, you know, potential performance, but to bias his training to achieve a 30 meter acceleration result because it's the standard measurement would be counterintuitive to what makes him great. Yeah. And so, and that yeah. And that's something that leads a lot of coaches down past yes. that, you know, may not yes. be so, you know, I mean, and then, and then, you know, that's always an interesting discussion on, you know, training strengths versus weaknesses or yeah. what may appear to be weaknesses, yeah. but are really just uh, a strategy that his system has figured out to, to, to run the actual hundred meters faster or the 200, or it could be a reflection on the, you know, obviously a reflection on the training that he's done. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it could be a million things. And that's a big trap. A lot of people get sucked into, um, 
you know, it's, uh, oh my God, if we just got him stronger, he would right. he, think right. about what he'll do, you oh, know? Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. You know, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe, but you certainly need it, yeah. but I'd be careful with that, you know, right. because, you, because you start robbing them. The problem is, is that whatever path that is, and I use strength as an example, it could be anything, you know, you rob, you start, if it's too much, you start to rob them of their, you know, their their go-to ability right mm -hmm. they're the, the one that they're so gifted at right mm -hmm. if it mm -hmm. if it impacts it negatively right yeah so sometimes you just gotta you know you know i think most high-end coaches are starting to get that or they do get that you know you have to you got to know when not to screw with uh the athlete's talent what got them there right some athletes are very technical Right. And some athletes are very, uh, you know, that's their thing, right. They're movement geniuses, mm -hmm. other athletes, you know, it is just power, right. Mm -hmm. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, they're just good at power and they can, and they can, you know, maybe not so good at technique. They're, they're good at technique, but that's right. not their, you know, what got them there. And it's I, not their you know, yeah. You see that yeah. in the hammer, man, at the world level, some mm -hmm. athletes, they just approach it differently. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it's like, uh, again, I'll mention this name again, Dana Price, right? Who just threw 80 meters, mm -hmm. right? Like you look at her, you know, and you can pick apart that, that throw or any of her throws at a high level and say, well, I mean, she's no technical model, but she's good. Like she's, she's got a good basic technique. And I don't mean that in a, in a, uh, you know, in any sense other than, you know, she, she, she does it very, it's very balanced. It's very, uh, the orbit's good. It's, uh, you know, she, you know, but she throws fucking 80 meters. Right. Right. But she, you know, but, uh, you know, and it's, 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 it would be an easy trap for, a, you know, a lot of coaches to look at that. And, oh God, if she just got her yeah. foot down yeah. earlier, if he just did this, well, no, it's not mm -hmm. necessarily, I, I, I don't buy that. I, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I just don't think because she, her and her coach have found the way a unique way her way of throwing 80 meters right mm -hmm. and they're smart enough not to fuck with it right yeah. like you know and they and they so they know what her strengths are her strength is power is being able to apply force but she's also an incredible athlete like mm -hmm. in a movement sense so she has you know and and uh you know and and it's yeah i mean it's so that uh, as opposed to you know, you can take a, a, you know, uh, someone else who's a, you know, outstanding technician, but maybe not so good in the weight room, but is throwing, you know, people make that mistake. They go, Oh God, if they just got stronger and they throw so mm -hmm. much further, mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. not necessarily, yeah. you know, you just have to, you know, maybe, but you, you, you're not going to ignore the strength, just like Deanna Price, not going to ignore technique, right. but you're not going to, but you're not going to do it at the expense of what the strength is. Yeah. Right. Strength being not weight room strength, but her, her, right. you know, what, what her gift is. Right. Yeah. I think as well, I, I, I hear the example often, well, recently more so than anything is that like, Oh, if Javon Harrison just learned how to arc over the bar, it's it, and as well, it, it makes, you know, De and Deanna Price's coach and, and herself are, are constantly working on the technical model. They understand the process and they'll probably continue to make improvements over time, but it's not just of a, we need to completely commit to one side of the spectrum in order to elevate performance. It's that general, it's that gentle nudging 
And similarly, like I, my last guest was Todd Lane, and he said, you know, we've had few opportunities to really dial in the aspects of, you know, complete high jumping the way we'd want. And here's where I'm starting the first principles of the run and how that's influencing the takeoff. And then we're getting the opportunity to work on the flight thereafter. But all those things that he knows that they're working on day in, day out, or the opportunities that they've got to do that is something that the general person is not aware of. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it's important to, yeah, basically, you know, plug your ears sometimes. And, 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 and we're yeah. all guilty of this. Is, or is turn your phone off. Turn your phone off and, and just appreciate, like, yeah, the gifts of the athlete and, 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 yeah. and trust that, you know, these coaches are, are in the positions they're in for a reason and that they're guiding them in a very in a multitude of great ways that should be appreciated. But I wanted to jump on as well when you're talking about the technical model. Some people are very dialed in. Um, versus others are, you know, more relying on those brutish attributes. Do you, you know, and this is something that I got asked so many times by coaches actually um, that doesn't pertain particularly to Hammer, but many coaches, and this is probably a typical one that they want to know an absolute answer, and there's probably a variety of factors that imp- kind of um, influence your decision-making here. But is there like a cutoff point in the season where you're like, okay, my guidance here is going to be reduced significantly or is it not and i would imagine this is maybe the answer is that it's not just a case of time you're going to continue to coach them if the technical model is horrible um but rather is it a mastery thing a time thing or is it a bit of both where you start to reduce the amount of influence or input. let's say input yes yeah i mean it's you know it's different with every with every athlete, obviously, I just went, like I said, I was working with this girl from Lithuania um, recently, and she, you know, we had made massive changes to her technique, like completely mm-hmm. ripped it down and changed it. And, and so, you know, I input far more than I normally would with an athlete with her, you know, um, because, uh, you know, we were, we started it together in February, right. And so we, you know, um, and, you know, that probably, you know, we're not working together anymore, unfortunately. And that probably contributed to that was just, I was trying to, you know, I was trying to push it a bit too hard and she mm-hmm. wasn't comfortable with that. Um, and so, you know, we sort of, uh, you know, we're not where, you know, we went our separate ways. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, that probably, you know, I think that contributed to it, but, but normally in a normal sense, you know, once we get into a, as we get closer and closer to competition, I, I try to say less and less and have more days where it's just let them figure it out. I call them free days, you know, free, mm-hmm. technically free days where they just throw. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that's not easy as a coach, you know, sometimes you, you sometimes you actually got to remove yourself from the, you know, because I'm such a perfectionist, not that, uh, you know, not that I've, 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 I've never had anybody even close to perfection, but I'm such a perfectionist that if I see something, it's very hard for me not to, you know, not to influence, but you have to, because as you get to towards competition, you got to like in the hammer anyways. And I think in the hammer, I, w- I could make a pretty strong argument that it is the one event in athletics that where this is most important, Stu would argue with me on this one because mm-hmm. he thinks the sprints are so complicated but <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyways uh it's you know it's the one event where rhythm is so critical right like it's and you have to let them find that way even if they even if they're not hitting 
the positions that you want them to, or you, you expected them to, because, you know, um, I mean, the hammer is one event where paralysis by analysis is, can really be your biggest enemy. But on the other hand, you know, I mean, sometimes you get, you know, if they don't think about the one thing, you know, um, if they don't cue themselves to the one, one thing, then, you know, it's going to mean the difference between, you know, I don't know, like it, it could be mean a three meter difference in the throw. I mean, that, that happens. So sometimes you got it and maybe you'll give them a cue. Maybe they'll have one cue. Right. And, and, um, you know, I usually have one cue when an athlete is in competition, but generally working up to it, we just, we'll have one cue. We work over and over and over on. And, and after that, I just let it go. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the, in the, you know, before, you know, let's say the PDSF before the one that got went into the real competitions, like the, you know, the major, major yeah. championships yeah. or whatever, then, you know, we, we are, yeah, we're still breaking things down and we're still mm -hmm. ripping shit apart and, or, yeah. or, or heavily focused on specific technical aspects yeah. and still changing things and, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. But as they start to get closer, yeah, I just, I just make it more about, you know, flow and rhythm and things like that. And, you know, just for, for those who are not following along, I guess, for what that might look like in the hammer, like, what do you think are the key? And this, this is, you know, key performance indicators and they vary, of course, for people individually, that's, that, mm -hmm. that goes without saying, but rather ones in which you're always looking for in it or that you can see in elite performers, they're, they're common denominators. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sort of, uh, well, I guess there's, I don't know if there's a lot of debate about this in the hammer, but right. I mean, you know, we certainly, we have the two models, the old model and the new model, and the new model is very hard to accomplish. Um, the only person that's really accomplished it perfectly was the guy who originated it. Uh, uh, and then you have, you know, which is Sadiq, and then you have, uh, you know, you have Lipinoff too, which didn't quite you know, it wasn't quite, you know, his strengths were a little different. His strengths were at, you know, just out, out and out speed, but also accomplished that model pretty good. Murofushi the same, you know, uh, although different in, in some aspects, but, um, but essentially I think if you look at it, like number one is, you know, being able, and this is one thing interesting, you know, I've been out of the hammer for a few years, haven't been looking at things. And then when I got here and I started working with this girl and, now I have a young one I'm working with, um, you know, I'm back much back into it. And I went back and it's like, holy shit. It's like, have things changed in terms of now the Americans are, are, are ruling the event. Right. Which I'm really, it's really good to see, to be honest. The only thing better than that is if the Canadians were ruling the event, but right. Yeah. But uh, that's not happening. Uh, or, you know, but the Americans are ruling the event. And one thing that I, you know, from what now I haven't studied, a lot, everybody. But one thing I do see that has really changed in the American style of throwing is they really have this idea of down, especially the women, of maintaining that triangle. Okay. So keeping their head on the ball. So when the ball, you know, keeping the ball lined up in front of them throughout the whole throw. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they're not dragging, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, Deanna Price does it very well through pretty much, mo if not all of her throw, most of her throw. Uh, Gwen Berry does it really well. Um, you know, uh, the, the girl from New Zealand does it very well. She's been very well coached uh, by Tom Walsh's coaches or Tom Walsh's coach. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, there's a whole bunch of them, whereas they're ne they, they're, they were, they never were like that. The men or women, the only one that was really like that was Lance Deal, I would say, you know, mm -hmm. back in the day. And uh, so, uh, so that's, quite you know that's i i would say that to me that's the first thing and i'm working with a young girl right now and i that's the first thing that i try to establish with her and she's and we can talk about her later if you want she's because that's quite interesting but uh and then after that i would say really it's about teaching the athlete to counter right like understanding where their body needs to be relative to the pull of the ball okay mm -hmm. and that's very difficult to teach too. Those are the two things that are so difficult to teach. And the second one, so, well, let, let me finish off that thought. So, you know, so in other words, when the ball's at its low point, their center, and Dale and Bab and I talked about this, but their center of gravity needs to be at its highest point, whatever that means to them. Um, and then when the ball's at the high point, their center of gravity needs to be at its lowest point, you know, you know, the, yeah, the two like real, the two real geniuses at that it, historically were Sadiq and Murofushi, right? Like just, you know, unbelievable. Um, and that's, uh, yeah. And, and there were others, but you know, those are the two I always point out to, but, um, and, you know, and I think, you know, um, there are all kinds of other elements that people work on when i was a young hammer coach the big thing for me was radius 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 out the left out, you know um and those are super important but you really only do those things if you can do those first two i talked about well right um and then rhythm of course but i think rhythm comes with all that i mean those are the two things for me those are the two go-to um uh, those are the two go-to elements I think. And, and anything else I do in the hammer in terms of positioning is trying to get that across. Right. So, um, yeah, those are your so first those, principles. Essentially. Those are the first, uh, um, mechanically. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that makes, that makes, that makes great sense. And I think yeah. it's important to get those examples as well, just for, I think those who are listening at home is that, that's what they should be looking towards no matter the event that they're they're really interested or specializing in is that you know look towards that yeah well i say yeah and uh, i mean to me it comes down to you know and this is where my my uh, my path as a coach is sort of has really helped me out here right is like what are the things i always say this to developmental coaches like what are the key parts of the throw or the, your event that need to be developed. What are the key, key, key elements? And they, they just, as opposed to just mimicking positions, right? So, and typically I would define these like, okay, so how do you determine what those are, right? In, in any given event, right? Like, how do you determine? Well, the way I did it, the way I figured it out was I went and asked the top coaches in the world, what are the ones? And, and then I got a, a bunch of answers in each event. So Gary Winkler said, okay, it's a takeoff in the hurdles, right? Uh, you know, I figured it out in the hammer on my own. Um, 
and uh, you know, blah, 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 all these different events. Right. Um, and then, you know, what, like the second part of that are what is essential to develop as a young athlete. Okay. So in other words, what are the, what are the, the other way to look at this? What are the key elements are, what are the elements of the technique that are the hardest to change if they're not done early? Mm -hmm. Okay. So in other words, we go back to the hammer, right? There's all kinds of other super important elements to hammer technique. What is their time and double support? Mm -hmm. Where is their low point? Mm -hmm. What is the, what is the, how long is the path of the ball? Right. Yep. But all those things can be changed easily with it, with, with an athlete as they get, well, yeah, time and double support can be a little tricky sometimes, but mm -hmm. all those things can be changed more and easily. manipulated more easily down the road. But those first two, if you don't get those right off the bat, like if you don't teach those right off the bat, you're fucked or the, well, the athletes fucked. you're not fucked, but you know, you're, you're because in particular that triangle, right. That keeping the head on ball, because I'm telling you as someone who has worked deeply at both levels, I see it all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. it, and the, and when an athlete drags the ball, it's almost impossible to change it afterwards. Like mm -hmm. it's because that's, and, and, and that's, you know, the hammer is the best example of that because it's, it's because it is a completely different paradigm in terms of feeling than doing it properly. Right. Like, so you want to accelerate the ball when you're, when you have two feet on the ground. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but if you drag, you're trying to accelerate the ball with one foot on the ground. And that's not just a, I said this when, when, when Don Babbitt and I were talking about the hammer in, in the podcast that I did with him is that that's not just a, that's not just a variation of technique. That's a complete 180 degree opposite approach. So if the athlete has developed and this, again, this, this, uh, this goes back to something Stu said in one of the podcasts I did with him is that like, if the L, if the athlete has developed early on the idea that they drag the ball and that's how they got good at it, that's how they got successful, then they connect mm -hmm. to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And if they did, if they learned all this in high school and then go on to a high performance coach, NCAA or whatever it is yep. after say, they're going to go yep. work with, I don't know, John Smith yep. or yep. whoever, Don Babbitt or whatever, then, then they're going to have one hell of a time changing it. And in yep. fact, you know, Don even said, you know, this, it's just in a lot of cases, just pointless. Right. But they get, because you just can't do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is one of the issues I had with this girl that I was coaching, you know, mm -hmm. at some point, she got, she either on her own or somebody, cause she was training on her own um, for the couple of years before I got her yeah. and getting input online from people. And at some point she developed this habit of dragging and throwing her head back. Well, it's, it's yeah. just, it just limits you. Right. Yeah. It just does. But you know, anyway, so, so I, I, so I would say that that is really how I would define what those key elements are. What are the hardest to change down the road? What are the ones that are going to be nearly impossible? those are that, the ones you want to develop yeah that's, i think what's really important just giving that and this is why i'm going I'm to kind of summarize this for coaches at home you know i went through a similar struggle myself when i used to before i came here to ulm is i used to run like with very low hips towards the towards the long jump that's the event i do and um i used to like generate a takeoff off that low 
you know, hip positions. I could apply a lot of force, but I wouldn't maintain a lot of speed through takeoff. But, you know, that that wasn't a key prince or, or running high in the hips and kind of being, you know, free through the pelvis, etc. was not a key principle of like biomechanics for my previous coach, not to, you know, no, um, yeah. to, you know, discredit him or whatever. Right. I, he was he was fantastic. Um, but when that had to be changed, uh, me, myself and, and Glenn Smith have had one hell of a time trying to change mm-hmm. that. But, but mm-hmm. he knew that that's if I was to jump, you know, towards my potential that had to be changed. And, you know, being a 23 year old, I think I was 22, 23, coming over here um, at a, a good bit of mileage on the clock with regards to repetitions and uh, how I'd done that in the past and had some mm-hmm. success doing it, but it, it yeah, it took an, an awful lot of reframing. And then that there's a different timing associated. And I imagine the hammer it's, it's not very different in the sense of, you know, you get good doing it a certain way. And so what does that say for coaches that really does enforce what you said in terms of going and asking, you know, the best coaches in the world from multiple different standpoints and philosophies, what the key principles are establishing those sets among yourself so that you can ingrain good habits early so that you know you can develop the right sort of timing over time mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you know you you can then potentially optimize the athlete's potential and i'm not sure i'm answering a, a question i'm about to pose to you for that is that the common pitfall that you see in youth development that they're not paying attention to those things or is it something else well, in a tactical sense, yes, absolutely. That's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, they, they don't, they, you know, coaches don't understand, you know, uh, some events at, at, a, at a fundamental level, okay? So uh, some, not all, I mean, some, yeah, I mean, course, I, I met, I've, I've met high school coaches here that, you know, are better technical coaches than a lot of high-end coaches I know, right? Sure. But generally sure. speaking, that's where they, if, if they go wrong, that's where they go wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, so I'll tell you, so I started working with this girl, um, recently here in Chicago who was, uh, I got, uh, asked to coach at a, at a high school in town here. And she was, uh, um, she was part of that school, but before that I was, uh, I, I was by the same coach who asked me to coach at the school, who was the head coach. I, uh, earlier on last winter, I was, I was asked to, you know, he asked me if I could help him out at a meet and indoors. And I went and, you know, and all these kids are there throwing, I didn't know who anybody was. Right. Mm-hmm. And this girl throws a shot and I'm like, Holy shit. Like, you know, she won the event, but it was not like she was, you know, she, she threw, she throws very well. She's been really well coached in the shot and disc and but it was the way she moved right like i was looking at this girl i was going oh wow i mean there's a movement intelligence there that is uh you know just like i was like yeah okay so that's what you need for the hammer right and i was thinking so i said to the head coach who was there at that meet the guy who recruited me into this whole thing and i said you know dude we i gotta get a hammer in that girl's hand right so <laughs> so anyways one thing led to another and now i'm 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 you know uh i'm working with her in the hammer and she's just started off and and she, um, you know, I think some athletes just get it, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're just, they just get it. And so in the hammer with my experience with women, so I've coached, you know, a number of women that have not some with me, some not with me, but uh, you know, a number of women that have gone on to, um, 
you know, at a high level, Sophie, Sultana Frizzell, a couple other ones. Um, and they, um, you know, if you look at the backgrounds that those, all the girls, the top girls I know that come from, it's all some kind of background. You know, they started off early in dance. Uh, Sophie was a ballet dancer and then a, and then a competitive trampolinist. Um, Sultana was a figure skater. Okay. Um, and there, there's a few others I could name. Um, and yeah, this good Lithuanian girl who's quite talented. I was where she was national champion in figure skating in Lithuania. Okay. Um, and, uh, this girl that I'm working with now is, is a, like a nationally competitive or ranked, She's won a medal at she won a medal at the Pan Am Junior Judo Championships. Oh wow! So she's a, a did it, do you say a judoku or whatever they call her? Was that what they were? She's a she's a judo judo girl is what no, she I'm is, right? Not so the right person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I didn't know that at the at the time. I found that out later. But it was like there's you know in those events, those those activities, you know, they teach this. I don't know where they, I don't know if they teach it. Maybe the, the girls just get, you know, naturally you gravitate to what you're, you know, you're, you're wired to do and who knows, mm -hmm. I don't care. Yeah. All mm -hmm. I know is that they, um, you know, this girl can move, right. She yeah. understands movement at a level that she, she's not even aware of. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, and she's not, this girl is not a monster right at all. She's a, you would not, she's like Sophie, right. She's, mm -hmm. she's a, pretty regular looking girl. I mean, mm -hmm. she looks like an athlete. That's for mm -hmm. sure. She's fit, mm -hmm. fit as hell, actually. Mm -hmm. She does a lot of different sports, but she's, but she's not, you know, six foot two long mm -hmm. lever, someone you would start drooling over to throw the yeah. hammer, or the discus. Yeah. Right. But she's got this, the way she moves, man. I was like, Oh yeah. So anyway, so, so I started working with her and dude, I'm telling you like in five workouts, she had this, this one element down uh, of, you know, keeping the ball and the, on the hammer and keeping the triangle down uh, on, you know, as, as well as any other athlete I've ever seen. Like she just, wow. she just gets it. And mm -hmm. I only had to tell her a couple of times. Right. I was like, but my point is this, is that, you know, you gotta, if you have the opportunity to start off with a clean slate, Right. And you understand, you know, those, those principles, like what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so much easier. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm just like, uh, I was like, wow, like this is, uh, this is something else. Like she, um, yeah. So she, she, and she just, she just gets it. She just does it. And yeah, it's been quite, uh, it, it's, I'm quite excited about it. Right. So I'm, I'm looking forward to working with her. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, how did I get off track on that question there? What was the question? Oh, no, I, uh, oh, uh, what are the pitfalls with youth development? Yes. Is that it? Yeah. yeah that so was. in a, in, in a technical sense, that's the, that's the thing, right? Is you have to find those, you know, find out what it, what the, the key things are. What are the things that the coach that, especially here in the U S where if you're coaching them at a, at a, at a young age, you're probably not going to be coaching them beyond uh, at college level. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, because they go off to that, they might come back after, you know, sure. whatever, but if you exactly. want them to be successful at the NCAA level or call collegiate level, whatever that is, then what are the elements that you're going to 
you know, you, that, that coach does not want to have to instill or does not want to have to correct when they get there. Right. And that's so in a technical sense, that's that. the, the, the mistake in the, in the, you know, sort of, uh, in the uh, methodological sense or in terms of the development of physical development mm -hmm, sense. So that's mm -hmm, a whole mm -hmm. other. Yeah. Yeah. I, I imagined it would be you know, a can of worms, Ben. I mean, that's, you know, and the classic one is too much strength too early. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's classic overwork, uh, um, you know, performing intensities that the athlete is not prepared for not having progressions in terms of you know doing it and and actually the last podcast i just did i kind of ranted off on this whole whole issue and i just i basically said look you know what like um you know i i, I you know now that i'm down here and i and i've worked in the high school system you know because it's easy to sit back and sort of say oh yeah everybody's doing it wrong you shouldn't be doing these shoes you know i get why they're doing it right because the drive for scholarship here or getting a scholarship is it just it just drives everything right it mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. drives everything and so high school coaches really you know they make no bones about that's what they're trying to do and a lot of them anyways a lot of the ones i met and they're going to do it boom and that's what they've been hired to do because the lot they do hire the coaches down here you know in high schools and that mm -hmm. and uh that means obviously if you can get them stronger they're going to be better right yeah and they're not concerned about what you know they're not they're, they're like i am not they'll say that. i'm not coaching this athlete to be an olympic athlete i'm coaching this athlete to get a scholarship which means i got whatever like two years or three years mm -hmm. to get the them currency. strong as fuck and just you know boom and so, you know, I said in this, and that's fair enough, but I totally understand that because that is, I mean, you, you just, I mean, you have to go through it down here to really understand it. Right. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. what I argued in this podcast was that, you know, there comes a point when you have an athlete like this girl that I, that I have here. I mean, she's, you know, how talented, you know, how talented is she? Like where, where could she go with it? I don't know, but I know it's worth exploring. That's for mm -hmm. sure. And mm -hmm. I've, she's doing things I've seen other athletes there's tons of other athletes not be able to do, especially in like six workouts. Right. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, but I, you know, I make the argument, I think early, you know, the real issue here is not what you know about training. Although that is part of it, you know, not what you know about development, it's talent identification, right? You, you have to be able to, I mean, if you really want to make an impact, right if you really want to really do high school coach at a at a at a at a high responsible level you have to understand talent identification and you have to be able to know when you have a talent because for those few athletes and it will be few athletes it won't be you know not not all of them um you, you have a responsibility to put them on the right path right? Like it's not, it's not fair to, to, you know, limit an athlete in terms of what they could do post-collegiate simply because 
90% of the other athletes that you're dealing with aren't going to make that level. So you're, you're, you're just trying to, you're just, you're training the shit out of them just so that they can have the best, most successful experience in high school and maybe get a scholarship. I get right. that. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I'll do it. You know, I got, I got athletes I'll do that with. I mean, there's a way to do that. You don't just slam them with a bunch of max strength mm -hmm. lifting or, or, you know, uh, you know, hugely intensive, uh, you know, special endurance or uh, workouts if they're a sprinter or sure. you know, whatever, there's got to be a progression, but that progression will be sh shorter and smaller than you would typically, at least I'd, that's what I hope I would see, but I don't see it. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I, I just tried to make the point that, you know, you gotta, you know, that this is a problem that's never going to get fixed. I just don't see it getting fixed. It's too, it's too embedded in a traditionalist culture. And it's in a, in a country that already is the best in the world at the event. They get, they have no reason to, uh, they have no reason to really apologize for that. Right. They are the best. And so, you know, they're going to continue to be the best. And so we, you know, who am I to tell them to do anything differently? But on the other hand, we do know that there are better ways to do things than just slam athletes with a lot of intensification when they're young, right? It, a lot of them burn out. And, you know, and I, and I, you know, if it's not going to change, at least try to identify the ones that you think could make it and try to hold back enough with those mm -hmm. ones and get them in the right event, not just, mm -hmm. you know, that's a whole mm -hmm. other issue. So I think that's really the big issue right it's it's bigger than it than i thought it was two years ago mm -hmm. and it's um and i think the approach you know rather than a guy like me who's trying to preach all this proper to you know sometimes i probably look foolish trying to pre preach all this developmental protocol and progressive type of shit but really now I, i'm really changing my views at least in how it's how it's approached right you know but when you have someone that's talented you you do have a responsibility to um to make sure that that athlete has has that opportunity it's not fair you know and the reality is is a lot of athletes will just they're so talented they'll just plow through it anyways but i would bet you know it would really be interesting to see a long-term study of track and field athletes that made it to the highest levels let's say made the olympic team or made the world champs even you know maybe at that level maybe at various levels made the olympic team made a semi-final level and medalists right let's say and do a, you know interview hundreds of them and in the u.s there are hundreds that have won medals right and find out what they did what did they do that's how bonnerchuk came up with this whole system i mean in in russia you it's easy to do that you just it's communist i want this he's a he's he's at the top of the ladder in terms of what he does and he got it right so mm -hmm. he said i want this i want to know from every i think it was like eight thousand athletes or something it was like i he made up a questionnaire and put it out to everybody said you got to have you, you got to answer this you got i need this information back they they fed it all into a into a computer or whatever and came out with that's how we came up with transfer training right um and so uh it would be interesting to see what their paths were mm -hmm. really what their paths were and i'll bet like i i did a um i did a throws conference uh, online conference for the portuguese uh i think it was portuguese uh last winter 
it was during when COVID was at its peak and nobody was even leaving their house. And uh, I was on a panel at one point with, uh, I think I was on a panel. Anyways, Michelle Carter was on it. Okay. Uh, Olympic gold medalist in the, in the women's shot, you know, and uh, whose father is Michael Carter. Uh, I think one of the only athletes in history, if not the only athlete who has both a Super Bowl ring and an Olympic medal. And uh, I asked her, you know, so you would think from her background, you would think, oh my gosh, she's probably lifting at a young age and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I asked her specifically, I said to her, Michelle, what, what was your, you know, like, when did you start lifting? She said, oh, I didn't touch a weight until I was in college. Right. Like, think about that. Yeah. Like, you know, only, you know, a, a girl with a dad whose dad is Michael Carter. And I'm, and I, I've watched her progression. I've studied her progression and it is like, it is, she just basically got better, 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 better from high school on. She, and she was good in high school, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think the best number one in the country, at least in, no weight, no strength. Right. Yeah. Cause her dad knew, obviously her dad, you know, only she got away with that. Well, I would say only she, but she got a, probably got away with it because her own man being who he is, like, no fucking way, buddy. Mm-hmm. You know, either yeah. he coached her or whoever was, was coaching her was like, uh-uh, I know this, mm-hmm. you know, leave it alone. And so she, you know, I'm, I'm making assumptions there, but maybe that's not the case. But, you know, for her, I got to assume that's got to be something like that if, if with her name, she didn't touch any strength until college. Mm. Olympic champion. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, I think what, what I'm hearing there from a lot of standpoints is, first of all, you've become familiar with the incentives that are driving a lot of this philosophy and or, um, you know, action by the coaches, but all in the same breath that by being more in tune with how common ground can be achieved, uh, whether it's from the coach's standpoint, fulfilling their duties of getting you know, recruit scholarships and stuff, um, but somehow educating themselves to a point where they understand that, you know, uh, trying to burn the candle at both ends is not, is not necessarily um, the way to go, the way to, the way to go. And that, Mm. yeah, you could, you could be doing yourself a favor and the athlete a favor simultaneously if you were willing to kind of subscribe to the, the ethical, guidelines as much as the guidelines that you're having to subscribe to as a you know high school coach which is to you know produce results and and scholarships Mm -hmm. and everything else um what i wanted to wrap up with uh derek was was more about your platforms and because we've delved into a lot of different areas that you've probably solely um you know focused on in other episodes of your podcast you mentioned you have the Bonderchuk course, and of course you have uh, Evil Track Sport, which is your website as well. Tell tell the listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, you know, I, I I'm sort of this Bonderchuk guy, quote unquote, because of my experience with Bonderchuk, and you know, when I left Kamloops and went on to Edmonton and Britain, um, you know, that's when I started you know, really working, you know, working with the system and playing around with it a lot. And then throughout, and that was like an eight year, eight, 10 year period. I came back to Camelot and I was just getting a lot of people contacting me, asking me about it. Right. Because, you know, Bondertruck's written a lot of books, but he, he does it. It's just the way he writes. He doesn't 
really explain how to do the system. And if you don't know somebody who's seen it and gone through it, and I was only there the first year, but him and I did write the book. Plus I had this big background in studying methodology. So that really helped. And so, you know, so people would, I mean, I remember being at the world champs in, uh, I think it was Daegu. And I was, I was at the, I was at the throwing uh, practice area uh, which was actually connected to the village, I think. Anyways, I'm standing there one day and w- one of the top US coaches was there and he had Bonder Truck's book. And he's like, comes up to me, goes, how the fuck do I make sense of this? Like, you know, I was like, well, you know, yeah, like you're a pretty honest dude, man, because a lot of guys would, or a lot of people, coaches would look at this and go, oh yeah, I understand. And there's no way you can put it together from just from the books, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's just no way. The only way to do it would be to, you know, reverse engineer the charts, which, which I wrote for our original book. Mm -hmm. Right. And so anyway, so I, I, you know, I was getting a lot of that a lot and I just got tired of like giving the same answer to people because it's, it's, it is, you know, it's a pretty sophisticated system in terms of, I mean, it's pretty simple at a, at its root level, but you know, it's just so different that it, it, it's hard to explain in 10 minutes. Right. And so, uh, so I did the course. I thought, okay, I'm going to do an online course, you know? And so when I got back to Kamloops, uh, you know, put it up there. So I started, that's how I started the site. And the site originally was only going to be just to sell the course. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I started doing conference in Vancouver, the, uh, uh, international conference of athletics excellence, which probably could have had a better name, but anyways, it, uh, and then, uh, we did that for two years before COVID and I started putting up you know, filming the lectures there uh, from various people in the, you know, Dan is on there, uh, VSD Nastinson, uh, Mike Young, I mean, just the top, top people, uh, Carol Smith Gilbert, you know, is on there. She's very popular or was anyways, I don't sell a lot of stuff these days. <laughs> I don't promote it. Right. So it's just sort of sitting there. Oh, by the way, the, you know, it's evil track sport. So it's E V E L T R A K sport com and people always put a c in there and then they can't right. find it yep. right so um anyways it um yeah so it uh yeah that's how i that's how i ended up putting the site together and and you know and then you know it's just i've really been into coach development coaching education and you know it's just uh i do a lot of conference work i do a lot of i do a lot of this man lately a lot of podcasts and and uh yeah so it's uh you know, as far as what's coming up, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm constantly talking about these courses that I'm going to launch. I have a sport parent course that I launched, which is I've to date, I've sold three. Uh, but <laughs> Stu made a really good point. I mean, it's really, it's really, a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a coach development course. It's just mm-hmm. far too deep for a lot of parents. I'm going to pair, I'm going to scale that down. There's some simplifications that I'm going to make to it and some summary videos that I'm going to turn into a course for parents and stuff like that. So they mm-hmm. can understand what, what they need to look for when they're looking for a, a thing that's on there. Um, but I, I really want to, my next thing up for that will be, um, it'll be a course for developmental coaches. Like I have a, I have a lecture that I gave, uh, in, um, here in Chicago, when I first got here, it's on high school development and that, and that was pretty popular on the site. Right. Um, but it's, it's the quality of the filming and that's not great, but it's, uh, but uh, that's going to be the root of it. And I'm going to do, I'm going to go through, 
you know, start to finish what you need to know as a development coach or what I think you need to know. So that'll be the next thing that gets up there. But when that gets up, I don't know, hopefully this fall, but. And then of course, you know, obviously the, the evil um, chat podcast that is on all oh, yeah. major platforms as well. So I yeah. think, you know, I, th- I personally, I think I said this to you in the opening email, like if coaches are out there looking for deep dives on, you know, coaching philosophy and, and, and methodologies, like you, you definitely need to tune in. I particularly love the three um, or four episodes. I'm not sure how many you did with Stu, but yeah, um, they, they yeah, those them. are the most, unfortunately, those are the most popular and yeah. that, and all that does is feed Stu's ego. Uh, right, right. But, uh, but the one on Matt Jordan is also very popular. It just went up. And then the ones that are the most popular after that are the ones, uh, just the simple chats I do solo. Uh-huh. Um, why that is, I don't know. Um, because I mean, to me, I think probably one of the most valuable ones on there, which was actually really popular too, was, uh, was Mike Young's. Yeah. 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 Mike Young is unbelievable. Yeah. Mike, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I'm, he I'm is, familiar. he, he's, he's, I mean, and, and I have some, and I'm not trying to sell or push anything, but I have some sure. videos on my site by him. His stuff is incredible. It is. Like it's so well rooted in uh, whatever the latest science is. Yeah. And he's like me, he's across the board, you know, um, but, uh, and for throws people, I mean, I have some videos on there by Viestein Hastinson and Nick Garcia, uh, Nick Garcia, if you, I mean, if you're a throws guy at the, at the high school level, you, you, you gotta, I, I get such good feedback on his stuff and Viestein's at the high level. It's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like his stuff. So, yeah. So anyways, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, the podcast is, uh, it's going well. It's just, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to get it up on a regular, as regular as I want to, I'm busy coaching in that. And, and I, you know, I, I, I do double enders. So I try to get, you know, mics on both ends, right. To make it, to make the audio quality good. Then that, so mm-hmm. that kind of slows things down. Cause I got to mail out a kit to them and all that, but anyways. Yeah. yeah i'm I'm enjoying it it's fun yeah no that's i i think as well given the fact that if you're if you're just kind of viewing or listening through this episode to refer back to you know if you're looking to specialize on bonder chuck's philosophy or get more deep dives on exactly what that entails um looking at one of your podcasts that as i said episode six and i know that many coaches are really enjoying the science progression based stuff from training periodization i think mike young for that i have to say is is fantastic Mm. like it's so comprehensive but articulate and uh, i think it really helps people understand um the thought process in in strength training programming speed uh test you know battery development and all sorts of stuff so yeah i i I would i would most definitely get people to tune into that as well Derek. And, and right. I have more content of his that is not up there from the conference. I've just, and a few other people from the conference. I just haven't had time to get it up because yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry. Well, no, no, no. Evil, evil track sport with, without the C to make sure that you can get a access at all that. Right. That's, that's yeah. where all of your resources are. Yeah. Okay. No. Awesome. That's, um, I mean, it's been brilliant. Two hours of chatting away on a, a lot longer than I thought it would be, but nevertheless, I think, um, a lot of really good topics covered, and I really do appreciate you, Derek, for coming on and, and chatting with us on the track and field. No, that's good to you. Yeah, it's great set of questions, man. I mean, the last few I've done of these, uh, some I've done some podcasts lately. Either I'm getting better at it, or people are getting better at asking questions. I, I don't know. It's probably me. I tend to rant. I know, so my apologies for that. But I did, 
I do, uh, or I tend to babble is what I do. Not so much rant, but babble. But anyways, uh, I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy talking. It's fun. Thank you very much for coming on, Derek. And uh, for those listeners at home, uh, best of luck with the rest of your season. And we will chat to you soon. Take care.